politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots standing at the ready to fight anew for everything that matters in the way it matters at the time it matters, which encompasses life, liberty, property, our standard of living, our way of life. Daniel Horowitz back here today for Tuesday, the 13th of Tuesday, June. And folks, there is a lot going on. We need to aim high. We need to raise the bar. To me, the central problem with the so-called conservative movement and really lifelong Republican voters is that they have such doggone low expectations because our side doesn't have affirmative beliefs other than I know there's something quite not right with what the left is doing and they offend me. And therefore, anything that's just, in their mind, not the left, or one tranche to the, to the right, which could be very deep into left-wing territory in terms of that Overton window, that's good enough for them. And I want to discuss a couple examples today through this thesis of raising the bar, having higher expectations, but also using that to tackle a couple of the issues. You know, we talked a little bit about y- yesterday, for example, about... The congressional battle with Kevin McCarthy, it looks like uh, the rebellion, at least for now, is over with, and they're going to proceed with floor business. But we're like, oh, well, we only have control of the House. We only have this. We only have that. And what I always say is if you have a winning issue on your side, I don't think most Americans want nudity displayed on the White House lawn and the satanic flag raised above the American flag. You could pick fights on that. And we have all these reauthorization bills that unless you get the House to sign off on it, it is not funded. What is so hard about that? Aim higher. Oh, this is the best we can do. No, it's not. We cannot afford to have such low expectations. And I want to start off today going a little bit in the past with Paul Ryan, understanding how low our expectations were for so many years that we've gone on decades with phony, false flag, controlled opposition Republicans that on the issues that actually mattered and the way they mattered at the time they mattered, Republicans and the leading Republicans were always on the other side. They were tossing the fight. It was fixed. This is how bad it's in. Now, I'm going to play a clip from Paul Ryan. It's been circulating around. He was on uh, MSNBC. And you're going to tell me everyone's going to agree that it's appalling what he said and nobody likes Paul Ryan. But I got news for you. When I warned about Ryan 10 to 15 years ago, People looked at me like I was nuts. I'd be at meetings and they'd say, oh, we need conservatives like Paul Ryan. And I'd kind of like try to grimace and, you know, deal with my heartburn. So people felt the same way. Fast forward, it's the same thing with Donald Trump. You know, he, he doesn't seem exactly like Paul Ryan, but for the issues of our time that matter and the way they matter at the time they matter, it's the same thing. That we are tolerating and even exalting something 
that is just not where we need to be. So let's start off with clip one here. Paul Ryan on MSNBC talking about how he's not a culture warrior. Take a listen. Can I get your thoughts on that movement just quickly? I know we have to go, but Republican lawmakers around the country are pushing legislation when it comes to banning books. Um, It could be trans rights. Call it anti-woke or however you want to label it. Is that a good approach, a good strategy? You're a football fan. Is that the way you should approach it? Yeah, I'm I'm not a culture war guy. Uh, I think it's really polarizing. Look, on some of these issues, I'll side with the anti-woke crowd, but to me, I'm worried about a debt crisis. I'm worried about you know the future of our country and, and China. There are big policy problems that we need to tackle if we want to have a great 21st century for this country. Um, my work at AEI Notre Dame and my Poverty Foundation is all about poverty and upward mobility. You know what I worry about are the big policy challenges that are going unresolved or made worse by Joe Biden. So that's why I want to win this election so we can actually fix these big policy problems. Yeah. Cultural war politics is good primary election politics. It's very divisive, but it's effective politics. It's effective politics. I'll grant you that. But for me, I'm an old Jack Kemp guy. I believe in inclusive, aspirational politics. Solve problems. We got we got huge problems. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what we got a debt crisis coming. Saying, so we got to get on top of that. Saying, no, neither saying, Biden or Trump are good on this issue. So this, both of these people. Yeah. So folks, there's a lot to unpack there. I want to solve problems. We have the debt crisis. I'm not a culture warrior guy. It's very divisive. Um, couple couple things about that. I want to be clear. This is not just about culture. Okay, when 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 he says his mo is, oh, I don't want to be a culture warrior. So people think that means, oh, I don't want to lean in on the rainbow jihad or something like that, or maybe abortion. I want to talk about so called fiscal issues in the debt. But what he is really saying, but not admitting, is that a. Uh, He views a culture warrior as someone who fights on any issue that matters in the way it matters at the time it matters. And that includes the debt. Here's the biggest irony. Before I get to the main point that everyone's going to talk about with Paul Ryan. Do you remember the Ryan Murray deal, which Trump, by the way, signed into law in 2017? It busted the only successful budget caps we had from 2011 in our lifetime. He was not a fiscal conservative at all. He would write papers about it and talk about it, but then when it actually mattered, he did the opposite. So don't get fooled by anyone who says, oh, I'm not into the cultural issues. As bad as that is, it's even worse because they're not into the fiscal issues either. What they are at is they believe that we should not fight in a way that actually matters and will net results. That's number one. So let's not forget about Ryan Murray. Obviously, in terms of very divisive. So, you know, we're talking about 70-30 issues here. Uh, we, we talked about the polling yesterday. It's, it's solidly a winning issue. But Paul Ryan is the sort of guy that if someone would rape his wife, he'd be like, we can't be divisive. I don't want a culture war. As, as the guy is sitting and killing her, you won't do anything. We are confronted with a culture war by left-wing culture warriors precisely because we had people for years like Paul Ryan and John Boehner and Dennis Hastert and Mitch McConnell and Trent Lott and Bob Dole dating back the last couple decades that allowed this to happen by not 
providing and offering a meaningful deterrent against this behavior. They saw a clear lane up the field to move the ball 30, 40 yards at a time. So that's why we're dealing with this. Yeah, I would love to deal with healthcare reform. That's my number one issue. We can't have life, liberty, and property without that. That's the number one debt issue. It's the number one economic issue. It's the number one life issue. But forgive me for having to deviate a little bit and deal with public nudity, cutting people's balls off. Everything's a man's a woman, a woman's a man, homosexual this. They shove it up your rear end. He's making it like we're the culture warriors? Are you freaking kidding me? We're the warriors? We're minding our own business. I don't even know what the right-wing culture warrior equivalent to what they're doing to us is. It would be like maybe we'd be kicking down their doors, installing cameras, watching what type of sexual behavior they engage in. I don't even know if that fully exemplifies the extreme on the right as the extreme on the left that we're actually dealing with in every aspect of of law, policy, society. And I want to talk about that law aspect because the courts are codifying this all over the place. The courts are codifying this all over the place. And um, that's what I want to spend the bulk of the time on today the failure of our low expectation on judicial nominees that has led to a big problem on a lot of issues, but particularly the rainbow jihad, particularly the bake the cake, the codifying trannyism as a civil right in in employment settings, in sports, in bathrooms, and how Trump's three Supreme Court picks to varying degrees have screwed us particularly on that issue. And that needs to be discussed. But first couple things, just want to finish on this thought of low expectations. At this morning's House GOP conference, Derek Van Orden, he is a congressman from Minnesota, he stood up and he started like dropping the F-bomb, cursing at the 11 conservatives um, fighting McCarthy, and he's like, McCarthy's introducing bills to save lives. It's not SHIT that gets on Fox News. So first of all, it's ironic because Fox News actually shares his values, not our values, which is a little bit weird. Um, he's introducing bills that save lives. Again, this is the sleight of hand. Whether it's fiscal or social, it doesn't matter. What they want to focus on are standalone messaging bills that will never go anywhere, but on the issues that will go somewhere, on the leverage points and the fulcrums that will create that tripwire to results and outcomes, they're on the other side. Don't get fooled that it's, oh, they're good on issue A and B, but bad on C and D. They're bad on every single issue in the way it matters at the time it matters. They'll focus on the issues that don't matter, and particularly in the way they don't matter, and at the time they don't matter. And one of those big things is the judiciary, which I want to get to today. First, our sponsor is Birch Gold. They could say whatever they want, by the way, with all you know, inflation uh, leveling out. 
to, on certain things, it's leveling out at a very high plateau. Meaning, yeah, it wasn't going to go up at that pace circa the Ukrainian war, um, you know, like like 15 months ago in perpetuity, but we're coasting very high. And, you know, I'll tell you, everything that is meaningful in life is expensive. I find many months that I have to supplement from my savings account. It's it's ridiculous. So that's why now is the time to diversify with gold and precious metals with our friends at Birch Gold Group. Birch makes it easy to convert an IRA or 401k into an IRA, not in BlackRock and Vanguard or Fidelity, but in precious metals. Here's what you need to do. Text Daniel to 989898 to get a free info kit on gold. You have the phone numbers there. You could call up. And they will talk about how to transfer. You you could you know give about uh, seven thousand uh, uh, per spouse into an IRA um, to get your tax deduction. Um, but they can convert your existing account if you have a pot of fifty thousand dollars in IRA. They have deposit boxes in several locations throughout the west, east, and central part of the country that it will be there for you when you need it. A plus rating from the Better Business Bureau. Thousands of happy customers and countless five-star reviews. Birch is who you can trust to protect your future by texting Daniel to 989898 today. Okay, so let's let's just tee this up a little bit here. As you all know, my first book was on um, the judiciary, stolen sovereignty, this notion that judicial supremacism, that Anytime the court decides to issue a ruling in a case between two litigants, that somehow that is self-executing um, on other branches of government, states and federal, and universally binding for every human being who's not a party to the litigation in a way that becomes so-called the law of the land, meaning that they cannot just you know deal with criminal cases and civil disputes and uh, bankruptcy cases, but that they could permanently decide constitutional issues if it comes up in a case in a way that it's just immutable forever. I, I disagree with that point. But nonetheless, both parties for years have perpetuated this thing that what's even more important than Congress or the presidency is picking a president to pick the judicial nominees because the federal courts get to laugh last in politics and law, so therefore they get to laugh best, right? They, they get to decide what is a fundamental right, what is not a fundamental right. So obviously courts still do decide boring cases, and even among people ideologically to the left, to the right, you could have varying different disputes, which you, which you should have. Different minds, you'll arrive to a different conclusion, that's fine. But when it comes to those civilization cases that we all care about, that deal with the contours of fundamental rights, like whether illegal aliens have citizen rights, whether there is a right to breathe but not a right to trannyism, whether there is a right to um, force someone else to bake your cake. Okay, things like this. Whether there is a right for the Democrat Party to maximize the black vote in a way to create as many districts that will benefit them, particularly using race and identity as scarecrows to remake the Constitution in a way that will benefit the left's political and social outcomes. 
those issues are big deals. And not only are they big deals, they're, they're, there's no shades of gray in those issues where reasonable conservatives could think differently. The issues I'm talking about are 100% abundantly clear that if there is a shred of constitutionalism in a judicial nominee, you should rule in a certain way. But yet we have low expectations. See, the ex- and, and, and rightfully so, because over the years, Republican presidents downright picked official leftists, dating back to Nixon and Eisenhower, Republican presidents, one after another, sometimes all of their picks, sometimes at least one of them, were bad. You had people like David Souter that downright 100% of the time, sometimes 90% of the time, voted with the left on the seminal constitutional cultural civilization outcomes. So we created this expectation that, oh, well, now we need to get better at this. We can't get screwed. And we need nominees who aren't going to be a David Souter. Now, as you could well understand, that's an extremely ridiculously low expectation. You see, the left bats a thousand with their judicial nominees. And I don't just mean the Supreme Court, but appellate and district as well. So I'm forgetting, I, I don't have the number in front of me. You could look this up. Maybe it's 170 or something picks that, that Biden has chosen so far. I could promise you that if you look at the gambit of religious liberty, illegal immigration, criminal justice, um, redistricting, uh, racial stuff in the 14th Amendment, um, you know, you name it. Obviously, the homosexual agenda, the trannyism, abortion, you, you could guarantee that 100% of his picks at all three layers of the judiciary are 100% guaranteed to their outcome on all of their important issues. Right, once in a while, you might have a split between various liberals on a sort of non-controversial, nerdy, legal question, as you would expect. But on those issues that, that will determine our civilization, they bat a thousand. So if you're dealing with a scenario where you are batting a thousand on the one side, and again, their rulings are immutable, they're life tenured, we say they have the sole and final arbiter of the Constitution, well, that's a pretty big deal. So then when you get in there and you have a Republican president, okay, you have a Republican president and you have a GOP Senate, so then you better believe we need to bat a thousand just to reach an equilibrium, right? I mean, you can't afford to lose on that. You can't afford to give any ground whatsoever. Isn't that kind of a reasonable expectation? So in other words, you should have Clarence Thomas as your standard, that we should have someone like Clarence Thomas. And what do I mean someone like Clarence Thomas? Not just someone who in the abstract believes in the Constitution in a certain way in a lecture, but he will have the guts to rule in accordance with that. And that there are mainly two elements, and it, and it ties into this case I've been meaning to, to talk about since last week, 
with the Alabama redistricting case, racial politics and stare decisis, meaning precedent. Meaning a lot of Republican picks will say, look, this is stupid. I don't really believe in it, but I don't have the guts. It's precedent. I'm not going to reverse precedent. Or it's often the critical things that they enmesh into the 14th Amendment, flipping fundamental rights upside down, are enmeshed in racial and identity politics. And the same way elected Republican officials, like in the Senate, in the House, they're too scared to run up against it. So the Republican judicial picks are the same way. Hence, there's a difference between, for example, there's a difference between, I don't know, um, Joni Ernst and Ted Cruz or Rand Paul and Mike Lee, right? Right. Everyone understands. Well, okay, Joni Ernst is not a, quite a Democrat, but you know she's for gay marriage. Screwed us on a lot of issues. She's certainly far away from a Mike Lee, a Ted Cruz, or Rand Paul, a Ron Johnson. So that same thing applies on the judiciary. You could have a David Souter, where you know a Republican president downright appoints like a demo, like a leftist, or you could have a Kavanaugh, or you could have a Thomas. A Kavanaugh is not a Thomas. Is a Kavanaugh better than a Democrat? Yes, of course. Is a Kavanaugh possibly the best you could achieve? If you had a Democrat Senate, very true. But as I said at the time, with Gorsuch, Barrett, and Kavanaugh, we did not floor the gas pedal. We needed to floor the gas pedal, and we did not do it. So too many people are enthralled with this fact that, oh my gosh, we moved the court to the right. Yeah, well, that was a virtue of circumstance. Typically, there was a sta- there was a stalemate for many years in that the Democrats retired on the Democrat president's watch and the Republican picks did on that. So it kind of, it didn't shift that much. But here, not only did you have Scalia's seat to fill, but then we had Anthony Kennedy, which were able to move over, and then Ruth Bader Ginsburg on Trump's watch. So even if you just have kind of a milk toast Republican type, you're certainly going to move it to the right from what it was, but we cannot afford to miss an opportunity. And the left goes, I mean, they went beyond nuclear on Kavanaugh. That was the joke. You couldn't get worse than what they did to Kavanaugh. So we were, I, and I said this at the time, we sh- we could have gotten three Clarence Thomases for the same money. And, and we had people in mind People like Jim Ho, William Pryor. And, and Pryor was on Trump's list. Trump put out a list. None of those three were on the list. Now, I want to play here, after I set the table there, about a minute clip of DeSantis was on with Hugh Hewitt. I don't know why he goes on Hugh Hewitt's show. Who listens to that guy's establishment guy? Really annoying. But anyway, he asked him about, hey, what will you know, will your judicial picks be kind of like Trump's? Take a listen to DeSantis's answer. Are you going to make the same kind of pledge to the Republicans as you go around the country that your judges will be like the Trump judges? Well, actually, I would say we'll do better than that. I mean, I, I respect the three appointees he did, but not none of those three uh, are at the same level of Justices Thomas and Justice Alito. 
Uh, I think they are the gold standard, uh, and so my justices will be along the lines of a Sam Alito uh, and a Clarence Thomas. In in Florida, I inherited a very liberal state Supreme Court, maybe the most liberal in the country, very activist, uh, but I was able to replace three of the four liberals my first month in office with conservative justices. I've since been able to make a number of appointments since then, so we now have uh, the most conservative uh, state Supreme Court in the country. And so I think we have a really good track record on doing that. And in fact, two of my Supreme Court picks when I first year in office were elevated to the 11th Circuit uh, by President Donald Trump. Okay, so folks, very simple point he's making. Look, they're decent, certainly moved it to the right, but you know, you know, better than, than what a lot of presidents have done in the past. None of the three are like a suitor, but none of them are like Thomas and Alito. And I could actually prove that to you on numerous cases. Now, I want to say this. In general, Gorsuch has been bold against stare decisis on a lot of cases. He's by far the better of the three picks. But he was largely unknown, and he has annoying libertarian tendencies on certain criminal justice issues, spills over into legal immigration. But he screwed us with Bostock. That was codifying transgenderism into Title VII. You have no idea how many of these laws that we worked so hard to pass in these red states are going to be struck down because of Bostock, that precedent that that he set. And then you go on to Barrett and Kavanaugh, and Kavanaugh is worse than Barrett. There's tons of cases. Big, big. I'm not talking about like nerdy cases like that. Yeah, I wish he would have ruled this way. I'm talking about the seminal cases. So you know, you have all these Republicans now and the National Review and then but also the Trump people are like, what's up? You think the, that this is a strategic mistake that he's he, you know, this is not going to resonate with the voters attacking Trump on the judicial. Nominees. First, of all, I don't think he's attacking him. Um, I think it tracks with what I said at the time. I didn't blame Trump. Trump doesn't understand the nuances between these people. I think it's not a fault in Trump. It's a fault in the conservative legal movement. That the it's a fault in the Federalist Society. That he he asked them, "Hey, give me a list. What do you want?" And they said, "These are good guys." So he picked them. And by the way, it's not just those three. There's a reflection of that up and down the the gambit of of the district and appellate courts. We talk about this Trump appointed district judge in Tennessee that ruled that somehow you have a constitutional right to a drag show. That's insane. Now, he has a lot of very good lower court nominees, but he didn't bat a 1,000. Now, most of them aren't quite as bad as the Democrats, but again, what is with the freaking low expectations? How do you tell me Kavanaugh's not good enough? Well, first of all, you're clearly not paying attention. But second of all, what is with the low expectations? See, unlike a political office you have to campaign for, you have to raise money, you have to win votes. So you might say, well, Daniel, I, I can only get a run-of-the-mill Republican. I can't get a Rand Paul or something like that in this place. But here, when you have control of the Senate, and that's it, and they're going to go nuclear on anyone you pick, you may as well just pick someone openly with a record. See, Trump was convinced to pick these stealth people that never said anything big. I would pick a guy like Jim Ho who has full of these concurrences, and he's a Fifth Circuit judge in Texas, that he's like, he's a culture warrior. Screw it. Just do, they're going to they're gonna attack you anyway. Now, if you, if you don't have control of the Senate, then fine. But DeSantis is talking about looking forward, that we need to build, we need to 
ideally do a little bit better than that. And I don't think it's a weakness in Trump more than it's a strength with DeSantis. He is particularly keen on this. And I want to show you how he's not just the Johnny come lately, but he actually recognized this. If you look back to July 9th, 2018, so that's when Kavanaugh was picked. And Kavanaugh is the worst of the three. So every Republican, when you have a Republican congressman or senator and you have a Republican president pick a nominee, it's all rally around the, the troops. No one's going to dissent one, one bit. And, and DeSantis didn't either. But he shockingly put out a more nuanced statement than anyone else did. And I want to read it to you. And this is long before he ever, he wasn't governor yet. He was in Congress. He ever thought he was going to run for president, certainly against Trump. Um, so this is not a Johnny come lately. Neither am I a Johnny come lately, because as you guys well remember, I raised questions about all three, and really particularly with Kavanaugh at the time. And I was like, yeah, I think we can do better. And I gave very specific reasons for it. You could go back and listen to those shows. But DeSantis put on Twitter, the gold standard for a Supreme Court appointment on the current court is Clarence Thomas, who is a faithful constitutionalist, possesses the ability to articulate key principles in a compelling fashion, and has a backbone made of steel. Because that's the point. You could intellectually be good, but don't have the guts to say all of our civil rights jurisprudence is garbage. With nomination of Kavanaugh, it's clear POTUS has selected someone who understands the Constitution and can apply constitutional principles in a persuasive way. Meaning he's smart, he understands the Constitution. But look at this. Whether Kavanaugh will be a fearless defender of Constitution and mold of Justice Thomas remains to be seen. Let's hope so. You read between the lines, and he's saying, like, exactly the point. Yeah, I mean, ideally, he probably doesn't agree with most of what the left's doing, but he often won't have the guts. And my point is, when you have a free lane, and, and here's the deal. Republicans have a much greater chance of winning back the Senate than winning the presidency, right? Because it's it's just one seat away, and they have an amazing map. Democrats have a very because they have all these red state Democrats that are up for reelection. So you're not going to have a scenario where they win the presidency and don't win the Senate. They win the presidency, everyone will tell you they'll certainly get the Senate, and if they win the presidency, that would likely mean they get the Senate by a few votes. You know, not just, you know, 50-50 with the vice president. They'll get, you know, 52, 53, maybe 54 based on the Senate map. You know, that will come along with it. So he's just trying to say, look, you have the thing. You don't have to campaign. You get a free pick. You get the free majority. The filibuster is gone. The Democrats are going to say your nominee is Hitler, whether he's a Thomas or a Kavanaugh. You may as well make sure you get a Thomas. And what a Thomas means is someone who is willing to fight the racial politics and someone who doesn't give a bleep about however many years of erroneous Supreme Court precedent there is. Now, yes, Kavanaugh and Barrett and Gorsuch did, much to my surprise, join to reverse Roe v. Wade. But number one, that is a unique issue that the entire Republican base made it an issue. They haven't done this with other issues, so they don't feel compelled to do it. And moreover, as I warned at the time, we're going to be paying for that because they have this inferiority complex that they, you know, basically what Roberts believes, Kavanaugh almost fully believes, 
and the other two believe it to an extent, to varying degrees, that they have to make sure they don't look like they're swinging the court too far. But again, this is stuff we should get for free. We're not asking them to do extraordinary things. You can't be like, well, he's good on abortion, but he thinks that there's a right to trannyism or there's a right to illegal immigration. That's bat dung crazy. Right? You know what I'm saying? It's not like, well, Daniel, you can't be perfect. Well, perfect maybe in the weeds on certain issues. Like I've disagreed with Clarence Thomas on his, you know, internet sales tax ruling with the, you know, that whole ruling there in, in the interstate taxation. But, you know, okay, you understand, intellectually, you'll have people that will disagree on some things. These are things dealing with fundamental rights of insane things that, no, I'm sorry, you should be able to find and get nominees that you know for sure where they are on that. And that leads me to Allen v. Milligan, this Alabama redistricting case. So people are like, where's DeSantis coming from? He's just like attacking, like, he's not coming out of left field, It's not coming out of left field. This is a big deal. Kavanaugh joined with Roberts and the three Democrat appointees, five to four, to rule to strike down Alabama's map in a way that will not only give the Democrats an extra House seat in Alabama, but if you apply what they're saying, it could likely do it in Florida, Louisiana, South Carolina, a number of other states. I mean, with a closely divided country, closely divided Congress, this is literally the difference between control of the House. This is a big deal. It's not like, yeah, you can't get perfection. This is a big deal. So we had this case in North Carolina, Ruscio v. Common Cause in 2019, where we finally thought we'd get the courts out of redistricting. In other words, the only thing worse than a legislative gerrymander is a judicial gerrymander. Gerrymandering is bad, but it's the spoils of war. Either they do it or we do it, and you just got to fight it out. The worst thing you could have is the courts unelected to create an arbitrary standard and get involved. And they basically said, and and, and this is Roberts himself, and Kavanaugh agreed um, that that gerrymandering issues were non-justiciable in the federal courts because, quote, partisan gerrymandering claims present political questions beyond the reach of the federal courts. And that is something we should all believe in. So everyone was floored, right and left, by what occurred last week, bombshell ruling, Allen v. Mulligan. Chief Justice Roberts wrote the ruling, and Kavanaugh concurred that Alabama's congressional maps violated Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act, which bans discrimination in voting. Now, what does that mean? It means you can't discriminate in voting. You can't put a poll tax, have people outside there say, you're black, you're not voting. It means what the hell it means. It doesn't mean you can't draw a map that's advantageous to the Republican Party. They have a 6-to-1 GOP map, which they've had for quite some time. There's always one black district that they can find to the kind of the, the, the central western part of the state. And, and that's what it is. What the left is trying to do and what Roberts and Kavanaugh affirmed is that it said, wait a minute. Because blacks vote predominantly Democrat, you're almost like disenfranchising them 
by having a district, let me just say that's 90-10 black. No, you need to create two or three 55-60% black districts so the Democrats could win more seats. And that's unbelievable. And Roberts acknowledged that his rulings may impermissibly elevate race and the allocation of political power within the states. But they basically said, this is what the courts have said in the past. Even though it flies in, 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 uh, in the face of his own 2019 ruling. So he's like, yes, it's a concern that we're basically mandating racial consideration. That you have to spread around the black vote enough to maximize Democrat seats. Unbelievable. Unbelievable violence to statute, to the Constitution. And the political outcome is devastating. Everyone's like, what do you mean? Kavanaugh's the greatest thing. You know, because all these low information loser thumbsuckers, they don't follow this stuff like I do. You guys know I've been following Kavanaugh for, for um, four years. He has screwed us on a litany of issues. Very, very important issues. And then there's so many more issues we have in the pipeline. You know, things on immigration, things on, you know, for example, uh, the death penalty for child molesters. You cannot assume Kavanaugh will be with us. And if I'm a betting man, I'd say he's not. And that's a big problem. So Clarence Thomas comes in. And, and, and look, you know, Alito, um, you know, in this case, Barrett and Gorsuch joined. But if you look carefully, they didn't join Thomas's full dissent. Like, they're, they're never as categorical as, as he is. Thomas warned in his dissent, by reading this in, into the Constitution of the VRA, it would not require the federal judiciary to decide the correct racial appointment of Alabama's congressional seats. It is nothing more than a racial entitlement to roughly proportional control of elective offices, wherever different racial groups consistently prefer different candidates. Section 2 demands no such thing, and if it did, the Constitution would not permit it. And, of course, the VRA is very simple. All the VRA does is it prohibits a map that imposes or applies any voting qualification or prerequisite to voting or standard practice or procedure that affects a denial or abridgment of the right to vote on account of race or color. That is the statute. Nothing more, nothing less. Um, and he made fun of them that they wanted to, that they felt compelled to fossilize all of the worst aspects of her long, deplorable vote dilution jurisprudence. And he said, this is it. And, and by the way, a friend of mine, Josh Hammer, he, he, dug up a 2007 case from Roberts. Roberts once said the way to stop discrimination on the basis of race is to stop discrimination on the basis of race. But here he codifies it in. So there you have it. Democrats could pick up seven seats or so based on this. You know, if this is not reined in. And this is the story. So this was Kavanaugh screwing us on a very important issue. 
We have the Trump-appointed judge in Tennessee screwing us in drag shows, which, by the way, increasingly we're going to see the Bostock opinion of Gorsuch enshrining transgenderism into Title VII of the Civil Rights Act is going to kill a lot of these laws. And this is where we're at. If we're on 10 incontrovertible civilization issues and we have judges that are with us on three, five, six of them, that's good enough? No, it should be 10 out of 10. Especially when you get a free lane to just pick who you want. And for all these Trump supporters who look at us like we're Mars, like, what are you talking about? That was the greatest achievement of Trump, yada, yada. This is from Trump Twitter, December 12th, 2020. Just as Alito and Thomas say they would have allowed Texas to proceed with its election lawsuit. This is a great and disgraceful miscarriage of justice. The people of the United States were cheated and our country disgraced, never, ever given our day in court. You remember how Alito was saying in the Pennsylvania case, this was the Texas lawsuit, um, they would have heard the election, you know, at, at least the the fraud to the extent that you had illegal, illegal changes to mail-in ballot laws in these states. Alito in his, was very urgent about this, you know, in, in, his, uh, in the Pennsylvania case prior to the election. He warned this was going to happen. Trump himself, the irony is lost on him, that all three of his picks, three for three, join with the Democrats on that. I mean, the biggest thing in Trump world is not the issues, right? The biggest thing in the Trump world is he needs to be president and the election was stolen from him. That's all they care. Not what he's going to do or did do when he was president, but he needs to be president. On that very issue... It was only Thomas and Alito who would have given him his day in court. What does that tell you? And I I could go on and on and on to remind people about this. You know, Kavanaugh... now, Now, Gorsuch was actually good on the COVID cases. He was very good, and he recently wrote a kind of a whole, you know, screed on it. Um, But Kavanaugh and Barrett... They really blocked a lot of our things. You know, religious, you know, the religious exemptions that we had. Um, Kavanaugh, Barrett, and Roberts, along with the Democrat appointees, consistently turned a blind eye to the government violating religious and personal liberty during COVID. It's because of them that we couldn't get a swift resolution to this stuff. Um, Kavanaugh actually voted to reverse a well-articulated injunction from a Texas federal judge in the Fifth Circuit on the case of the U.S. Navy SEALs v. Austin with the vaccine mandate. That was really bad. So we have some major issues here. Major, major issues. Throughout COVID, we were screwed. And let's not forget. Let's not forget that we have Grim v. Gloucester County. That was the tranny bathroom case where the Fourth Circuit mandated that you have to allow people in the other bathroom. 
the Supreme Court refused to grant cert. Alito and Thomas would have taken up that appeal. The other three refused. Now, it doesn't mean 100% that they're going to rule against us. But again, when you have the lower courts creating earth-shattering, maniacal, insane rights, and you refuse to grant uh, an appeal, give cert to the defendants, that's a big problem because you're allowing that to percolate. Right now, the courts would decide based on that precedent and strike down all these state laws. This is going to be a big growing problem. Okay, with the drag shows, with the sports, with the tranny bathroom stuff. This is going to be a very big problem going forward. You know, there's one thing if, let's say, you know, our guys want to reverse longstanding precedent and the lower courts don't bite because they're like, the precedent is the ways and we appeal to the Supreme Court, like, we don't want to take it up now. But I'm talking about the lower courts creating new phantom rights on new cultural issues. And they allow it to stand. We saw this with um, some of these Ninth Circuit cases, whether it was the right for homeless encampments that you can't, the city of Boise couldn't clear them away. You have a right to camp out on the streets. Whether it was creating a um, a right to get your balls cut off, literally the opposite, to, to, to seek castration and then be placed in a female prison, a male prisoner. This is another, there are two Idaho cases I'm thinking of. Both of them, the Ninth Circuit created radical rights. And again, it was only, only Thomas and Alito that would have taken it up. Gorsuch did not. Barrett was not on the court yet for those cases. I'm trying to remember if Kavanaugh was. But I could, I, could, I could really go on and on. There are multiple religious liberty cases. And then we have, um, you know, Arlene's Flowers. In, in July 2021, Barrett and Kavanaugh joined with the left and denied an appeal from Baron L. Stutzman, owner of Arlene Flowers, to assert the you know, private property rights, free speech, religious liberty, to decline to service you know, gay weddings with a floral arrangement. Um, and let's not forget that in, in uh, 2021, these same justices, meaning including Barrett and Kavanaugh with the left, denied an emergency injunctive relief to New York healthcare workers who are being deprived of religious liberty rights with the vaccine mandates. I mean, I could go on and on with a lot of cases, and, and, and there's also another important one I think people forget. And that is, and this is going to be very important with the woke stuff, the censorship on social media. Um, this is another screwball from Barrett and Kavanaugh. They believe that the police power of a state is so strong that the state can employ it to destroy anyone's life for not injecting a therapeutic into his body. Okay? So strong. Yet these same judges believe that a state is powerless to regulate public common carriers that have a monopoly over the flow of information and stop them from simply completely tilting our elections to one side and boxing out one point of view and the candidates representing it 
from today's public square. This was, I want to say, around this time of year last year, you know, when the big Supreme Court decisions come down in June. And the Supreme Court voted to reverse the Fifth Circuit and and basically strike down or put an injunction on Texas's HB20. That was that, you know, the first of its kind that prohibits large social media platforms that claim to be open to the public from blocking, removing, or demonetizing content based on an individual's political or social views. So again, it was Roberts, Barrett, and Kavanaugh joined the left. Now, they didn't publish an explanation because it was basically the district court put an injunction, the Fifth Circuit took it off, and they reinstated it. Um, and Alito dissented and was joined by Gorsuch and Thomas And this is a, I'm telling you, these are very emerging relevant issues, but I could tell you a bunch of things we talked about before that there's a need to not just on Roe v. Wade, but take the last few decades of terrible jurisprudence on crime, on illegal immigration, you name it, and, and set up a challenge. But in all honesty, very rarely are we going to have all three Trump picks because you need if Roberts is not with us you need all three of them for for five votes rarely are we going to have all of them this is a big problem this is a big problem again when you have the Republican presidency and the Senate you get it for free they're going to fight you anyway but you have the votes to overcome it Kavanaugh is the most milquetoast pick you can get and they went nuclear on him So, this is what's so appalling. Justices Kavanaugh and Barrett have it both ways on state regular the, the balance between state regulatory authority and individual rights. Because, like we said, these same justices put a partial stay on a lower court injunction in Austin v. U.S. Navy SEALs, which prevented the Navy from taking adverse action against the SEALs who filed religious exemptions from the vaccine mandate. But somehow there is no concern for bedrock First Amendment rights, even when it comes to to protecting your own human body against the state regulation. But a common carrier publisher that claims to be open to everyone as a corporation has First Amendment rights to censor you. And isn't it interesting? Even on corporate rights. So mega... companies that are essentially common carriers, they have a First Amendment right to censor based on political view. But those same judges, when it came to Baronel Stutzman, a sole proprietor, working with her hands, something sentimental, she doesn't have a First Amendment right to say, I don't want to engage in support for this activity. Mind you, see, the difference is, these guys are censoring, are, are... you know, boxing out and discriminating against our point of view. Mind you, people like Arlene Flowers, they never said, if you are gay or engage in sodomy or do whatever, 
that I disapprove of, I'm not going to service you and give you the same service that I would anyone else. You want flowers for another thing, it's fine. You want a birthday cake, that's fine. You want an anniversary cake, that's fine. But I'm not going to create a new service that I do not offer that because I don't believe in. I'm not going to, going to service a same-sex ceremony that you think is a marriage, which is not. That's how pathetically hypocritical. Is it too much to ask that we bat a thousand on fundamental rights and understanding the contours of that? Is it too much to ask? But no. People look at me like I'm from Mars. This was Trump's greatest thing. It's we have such low expectations. And speaking of low expectations, by the way, do you know that in addition to now the courts creating more power for the Democrats, you know, in the legislature, um, we got voted down. They adjourned without approving a bill that would have banned basically other people filling out absentee ballots. So one of the main things that the left does is they have, you know, with the absentee ballots, they just go around to a nursing home and have, um, you know, a bunch of uh, the candidate workers fill out all their ballots in favor of that candidate. We couldn't even get that passed out of Alabama because we have low expectations. Kevin McCarthy in West Virginia endorses Riley Moore. That's the nephew of Shelley Moore Capito, a rhino on every single fiscal and social issue. And now Shelley Moore Capito's son, who is the biggest rhino in the state legislature as chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, is the leading candidate for governor. And now that Alex Mooney, the only halfway decent conservative we had, he represented uh, District 2 there in the northern part of the state, because now he's running for... Senate against Jim Justice, and I, you know, he's going to get crushed. So now, this Rhino Riley Moore, the other Moore, he's getting endorsed by McCarthy. So now, every single Republican, Justice, Moore, Moore, and Moore, will all be Rhino dirtbags from a state that has not given, that uh, has not had a single county give its vote to Democrat for president since 24 years ago. 23 years ago. This is where we are, folks. And no one notices it. It's all too nuanced. We don't know who the candidates are. We don't know the judicial picks. We don't follow the legislation. We don't follow the judicial rulings. We just know that they're Republicans or Republican picks in the case of the judiciary. And I'm just happy it's not the Democrats. Well, you know what? You could go very deep into civilization hell and be one hairline, not the Democrat. But you are deep into hell. This is the problem. Stop with the low expectations. Believe in something. It's the opposite. You you aim high. Now, sometimes you'll have political adversity, you can't get it. But you're not going to get it, or get anywhere near it, if you don't strive for it. And don't use that as your standard. Oh, at least we didn't get three suitors. Well, but you had that for free. The minute the Democrats blew up the filibuster and you have a majority in the Senate and you have the White House, you have a free lane. You might say, well, we don't want a messy fight. Okay, that would be true if they'd only give a messy fight over Clarence Thomas types, but they give a messy fight over all of them. 
I mean, you couldn't get more nuclear than the Kavanaugh fight. I said it at the time. I was like, this is the irony. We're having a civilization fight over a guy that's Karl Rove in a robe. These are big issues. And I'm just going to tell you, the only reason we're not even more disappointed with Kavanaugh and Barrett, and to a certain extent Gorsuch, is only because Republican states until this legislative session have lit- literally done nothing, still have done very little, but we had on trannyism. This stuff is percolating in the courts now. We already saw with a Trump appointee in Tennessee screwed us. Watch for that Gorsuch Bostock opinion to be controlling precedent against a lot of these laws we want to do. Alito in his dissent warned at the time that it's going to blow up any ability to deal with the bathrooms, to deal with um, the sports and things like that. So... Mark my words, you will realize I was right on this, even if it sounds too harsh. But it's not just about the judiciary. I mean, today's lesson was mainly about the judiciary, but it's with everything. Aim high. Believe in something fixed, divorced from, oh, I'm not the Democrats. Oh, the Democrats are bashing Trump, so Trump's amazing. So that's all we have to care about. Focus on the issues that matter in the way they matter, at the time they matter. Politics is not just a math numbers. It's an art. It's an amalgamation of multiple factors and observations. There's just such a low IQ in this industry. But maybe I'm the low IQ guy because I'm the stupid one that doesn't earn the big bucks. I guess they're the smart ones. Say stupid things, earn a lot of money, but whatever. To me, I value truth more than I value money, and I value this audience so much because you guys know this. You're not going to allow me to just get before you every day and give you superficial fluff. That's not what you tune in for. Um, So let me know. Let me know if there's other issues you want me to cover. Daniel Horowitz at startmail.com is the email. At RM Conservative is the Twitter. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes with a comment if you uh, believe we are worthy of five stars. Until tomorrow, God bless you all, and thank you for listening.